very nice. Am I there? Hey, good morning. Welcome to Southwoods Christian Church. My name is Tara. We're glad you're here today. Um, okay, forewarning, I've got a lot of announcements, which is amazing, right? Because we have a lot of things going on, which is also amazing. So just sit back for a hot second and let's take a look at a few things, okay? First, uh, father-daughter dance is happening on the 25th. As we've said week after week, this says father-daughter. It can be uncle, niece, friend, granddaughter, anything. And there's no age limit, by the way. We have ladies who will be here that are well into their 20s with their dads. So it's, there's no age limit. So pay attention to that. Be part of it. Um, midweek is coming up. It is on the 30th. And midweek is something we're doing about once a month where you have a chance to come here. It's for all ages. So if you have kids, students, there's something for them as well. And it's just an hour and a half of worship and word and teaching and fellowship. And guys, that's important. It's really important. So if you can be here, we're all busy. I get it. But an hour and a half on the 31st uh, or 30th, excuse me, be here for that. Next, we have ladies night. You know, you want to sing it every time you hear that, right? The song, you know? Oh, yes. it's me. Okay. Anyway, ladies night is on the 31st. There's a sign up in the back along the wall where we have a lot of information. If you could just hop back there, put your name fill it out so we know who's coming. And again, another night of fellowship and, and just enjoying one another in connection, okay? Uh, make sure if you have a student, you're paying attention to Cody's messages um, via email about the student trips that are coming up. And then last week, we introduced something called the DIY Dares. How many of you grabbed one? Because I know there were a lot gone. You guys had slime time. I saw it on Facebook. That looked awesome. What'd you guys have? Oh, nice. Painting. So again, it's something for you and your family. Check it out. It's in the lobby and it's on the wall. You kind of check it out like old school library stuff and take what's there. Take it home. Spend some time with your family. want to also mention that um, every year we have the Seder meal. We want you to come and celebrate that with us, the Passover Seder. Here are some quick details. More information about that will be coming, but set aside Wednesday, April 13th for that. We also have Vacation Bible School happening in June. Make sure you set time aside for that if you want to volunteer or start spreading the word. It's the 13th through the 17th. And then last, we want to let you know, as always, you guys are so faithful and God is so honored by your generosity. And the ways to give here at Southwoods are right there in person, online, by mail. You can drop it in the back as well. So just want to again welcome you. And just a quick reminder, and this might be kind of a dust statement, but your being here this morning was intentional. You didn't just so happen to show up here. You made a choice to be here today. And that's a great option, right? And we're honored that you're here, whether you're on live stream or you're here in the room. And there's really no better place to be if you are investigating your walk with Christ. Maybe you're building your walk with Christ. Um, nurturing it. Maybe you're fully in it and you are just skating free, <laughs> pun intended. Um, but we're glad you're here because there's great value in collectively being together. But we also know that life is hard and life has struggles and life has things that kind of shake us to our core, which is why this church body is imperative that you connect with. It's also why it's imperative that we know who we follow we know who Jesus is, and that allows us to dedicate our lives to him. Normally, we start our Sunday mornings with you standing right up, and we jump into worship. We're going to get to that, but this morning, I want you to sit back, and for about the next seven or eight minutes, 
take in this video and then a song after that that hopefully will just pull you into the presence of God, but it will also give you an opportunity to understand that as humans we sin, as humans we have shame, but as a church collectively and because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and this church body loves you and Jesus loves you. So sit back for a few minutes. Let's go ahead and start that video and then we'll worship together in a bit.
over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within his presence I speak Jesus I speak Jesus oh let's pray together Lord God we're so grateful that we get to be in this place this morning we're so grateful that your presence is already here. We're so grateful for your love, your mercy, and your grace, for your loving kindness that's better than life. And I thank you, Lord, that we can speak the name of Jesus, and we can be confident, and we can know how much power, how much amazing ability, how much there's just not even enough words to say what speaking the name of Jesus does when we speak it over our families, our friends, our situations, our lives. I think that I just feel like there's some stuff going on today with some folks who are just struggling. And I'm telling you this morning, if you speak the name of Jesus, even if you just say his name, just say it over and over again. You don't have to have any other words with it. Just say, Jesus, he's going to hear you. He's going to intervene and he's going to make everything the way it's supposed to be. Lord God, thank you for the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's do some more praising. Oh, nice and loud, church. I want to hear you. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the Doors. He parted the raging seas. My God, He holds the victory.
Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment to turn around and say hi to somebody.
continue on with our time of communion, and I'm going to catch my breath here for a minute. I just want to, this morning has kind of been about speaking the name of Jesus, and we've talked about that a lot over the last few weeks, but it's so important, and it's so powerful, but just as powerful and just as important is when we talk about the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, there's no other like it. There's nothing that can redeem man like the blood of Jesus. There's nothing that can save us like the blood of Jesus. And I want to read this uh, from, it's taken from 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21. And it's just kind of a, something that someone put in their own words about the blood of Jesus and how important it is. It says, the blood of Christ was shed so that we might have a relationship with God. So important. That relationship is only made possible because Jesus was willing to die for us on the cross. Now, I've probably said this before, but many of you who are parents, grandparents, I know there's no doubt you would die for your loved ones because you're awesome, amazing people. But imagine having to be the one to die for the entire world. Those who were born, those who weren't born yet. I can't, my brain cannot wrap around that. It was not the price of silver and gold that we were saved by. Even though those precious metals are costly and worth much to the world, most of us don't have a lot of silver and gold. So what if the price of salvation was $1 billion? I don't know too many people that could pay it. What if your life was a ransom that cost $1 billion? There'd be a lot of us perish. Could you have paid it? No, even a billion dollars, however, cannot buy forgiveness from even one sin that you have. So money can't buy it. Gold and silver can't buy it. I'm getting there. Not even a billion dollars, however, it can't buy forgiveness. And from even one sin you have committed in your lifetime. And even a billion dollars cannot buy one day with God in heaven. Silver and gold cannot save anyone. If you owned the whole of the earth, this would not save you from the curse of sin. The only one price, only one price would do for the forgiveness of sin. And that price is perfect. The priceless, sinless blood of our Lord, our Lord, only one ever carried sinless blood in his body, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we were in the prison house of sin, but Jesus came our way and paid our fine in his own perfect blood, and that set us free. The condemnation was taken away. Thank God for the saving blood of Jesus Christ. As we sing this next song, please keep that in mind. We're, we're saved by nothing else than Jesus' death on the cross. We owe our lives to him because he gave his lives for us. So when we're singing this song, please make it a prayer to him. Love him. Thank him. And let's stand together and sing it.
there's somebody here this morning that doesn't understand what that means, please don't let them leave until they talk to one of us. We are so in love with you. Thank you for your precious, powerful, amazing blood. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask, Lord, that you would continue to just move in power in this place as the word comes forth this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat.
Good to be here, isn't it? Good to see you all. Good to be seen by you all out there at the red dot. I was remembering when the pandemic first started, when was that before this time last year. And uh, I'm Bob Priest, by the way. I'm not the pastor. <laughs> pastor Greg is uh, doing something different today, but I was substituting for him early there, and the whole room was empty, and I had to talk to that red dot, which is kind of odd, you know. Maybe if you're in TV, that's a natural thing for you, but. It's just dawned on me what a blessing it is to hear your voices right here with us this morning. I know God has got to be pleased with that. It's good, to, it's good to see you and it's good to be seen. Our friend and pastor Greg Montague has been walking us through the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. It's a tiny little book at, at the back of your Bibles in a series we're calling When Faith is Tested. When faith is tested, and and whether you are in a place of testing now or things are pretty good for you, there's some some real good wisdom and real good uh, words to give courage in these words that Peter chose to share with us in this little book. Today we'll be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, so if you happen to have a Bible with you, go ahead and and turn there. There I know Greg mentions this sometimes, Uh, there are Bibles in the shelves in the chair in front of you, and... Uh, those are for your use in this service. If you don't have one, those are for you to take with you too. So uh, if, if you have one, just put it back in the shelf. But if not, you, that is yours to take home. It's nothing, not a more precious gift we could have. <clears throat> Before we start, let me ask you a question. What would you say if I asked you, if you are a person of faith, are you a person of faith? How would you respond? Don't answer, Joe. You, this is just rhetorical, Okay. Are you a woman of faith? Are you a man of faith? I'm not asking what someone else might say about you. I'm asking what you would say about you. And how do you know? What qualities can you identify in your character? What, qual- what qualities do you possess that qualify as faith? I don't know if you think about that kind of thing very often. We've brought it to everyone's attention with this series we're doing, but it's a really good question to have an answer to when things are going well, before things start getting difficult. When when I've asked individuals that question over the years, are you a person of faith or some variation of that, it's usually because we've already begun a conversation and they're sharing some very difficult things going on in their lives at that moment. They have some uncomfortable experiences, some uncomfortable circumstances, or they're anticipating those coming into their life very soon, and they're angry, or they're worried, and they're concerned, because that's what testing surfaces out of our spirits, those kind of feelings. Testing applies pressure. Sometimes it's an overwhelming pressure to our souls. You may remember one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the sower, where he literally said that uh, difficulty in life, that testing can drive the faith right out of some of us. Before testing comes, we may confidently say, yes, I am a person of faith. In answer to that question, that's exactly how Jesus' good friend Peter responded. He is the one who wrote the letter that we're going to be looking at today, and he was very confident in his faith. 
But when the pressure was on, when the, when the screws started to tighten down on his life a little bit, he discovered that talk is cheap, that his talk is cheap. And like few other people in our Bible, this fellow's life is under a microscope for us. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even in the book about the early uh, beginnings of the church, the book of Acts, we see a lot of Peter. In fact, our series, I chuckled, I thought we could have put his picture up here if we had it, because when faith is tested, would be a banner (laughs) over Peter's life, especially once he came to know Jesus and started hanging out with him. And sometimes Peter's faith is tested, and he shows out really well. He comes through, and other times Peter's faith is tested. And he fails miserably. And, and sometimes those happen within moments of each other in his life. So we're not making fun of him because he, he's a lot like us, isn't he? What did Peter discover about this? Wouldn't it be nice to know, if somewhat in advance before testing comes into our life, if the faith we have is adequate, if it has staying power, my hope is as we read some of his insights today, we can, we can spend a little quiet time evaluating our own status, evaluating our own lives a little bit, and we can determine if our confidence in our faith is well-placed or, or could it become that way. And if we're not sure how to answer that question, I'm hoping there'll be some, some practical ways emerge from these verses we're going to read that will um, ready ourselves for the inevitable testing that's going to come our way. Before we read, we're going to be in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Let me ask you all to bow with me. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our reading. So, Father, we are uh, in awe of your love for us. This, This singing we did this morning that this worship team blessed us with has just filled our souls and stirred our souls with the care that you have for us. And yet you allow testing to come into our lives. We pray that you'd give us wisdom from your word this morning. We know you inspired Peter to write these words based on his time with Jesus, based on his life experience, and based on your Holy Spirit in his heart. We pray for that Holy Spirit to to light up spots in our life that need your attention this morning. Help us to have hearts that would receive that. And change things if we need to feel uh, strengthened if that's your intention, and, and we will bless you for that. We will thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin right at the first two verses of First uh, Peter 4. Let me just read verse 1 and 2 to you. Oh, and, and I was going to tell you, so, you know, preachers always do things in threes, right? So I've learned that along the way. So we're going to take this in three chunks, and hopefully that'll make it all tie together by the end. So then uh, he says, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically with, for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Peter dives right in, doesn't he? He doesn't mince words at all. He essentially begins with sharing this idea that if Jesus Christ, God's chosen one, God's only son, if Jesus Christ could suffer pain, you know, the guy who was the best 
that humanity has ever seen. If he could suffer pain during his time here, then you and I need to get ready for that too. Thanks, Peter. Not a cheery thought, but he's just trying to be real with us. Somewhere down deep, I don't know if you feel this way, I know I often have, somewhere down deep we may hope to escape testing, that, the, that life's suffering will just pass us by. We'll be good enough, we'll be healthy enough, maybe we'll be prosperous enough, maybe we'll even take just being lucky enough that we'll dodge life's trouble. It's not a good way to think. Also somewhere down deep, when we know, when we're thinking that way, we know we're just kind of whistling in the dark, hoping things will pass us by. Expecting no suffering in our fallen world is self-deception. Don't give in to that. This problem of pain and suffering has been one of the great philosophical challenges for as long as there have been people. You church people remember back to the Old Testament book of Job and you'll know what we're talking about. Many reject faith in God altogether on this point alone. And the way the question gets framed up is why would a loving God allow suffering? Why would an all-powerful, all-powerful loving God allow testing like this in our lives? It was interesting to me to see, because that question's often in my mind. I, I hear a lot of people say that. It was interesting that there is no answer to that question even attempted here by Peter. Suffering in life is just assumed. There's no answer. Instead, what's he tell us? He tells us in the first part of those verses, we need to arm ourselves. And then he tells us we're gonna gain some insight into what our time of testing may accomplish in our lives. Let's start with arming ourselves. Are you, are you armed? Are you armed and ready? How have you armed yourself for pain and suffering for testing? Does the idea of arming simply with an attitude, even though it's the attitude of Christ, does the idea of arming simply with an attitude seem a bit insufficient? You guys probably remember the old story about David and Goliath. David was determined to defend the honor of Israel's God, Yahweh, on the battlefield and take on the blaspheming giant Goliath who represented the whole Philistine army. They terrified, Goliath terrified the rest of David's countrymen, but not him. He's just a boy, so the experienced warriors that he knew, they tried to get David outfitted. They tried to arm him. They put some armor on him. They gave him a spear. They gave him a sword, but he was too young for those things. And the traditional weapons of warfare that everyone else was used to working, wearing wouldn't work for young David. So he, he removed that stuff, and as he was, he ran to the battle, armed with a sling, which was the shepherd's tool, and five smooth stones that he picked up on the way. You remember that story? Remember the other story in the Bible about uh, another Bible guy named Gideon? Gideon and his army of 300 men were sent by God to take on another fearsome foe, their oppressors, the Midianites. They were camped out in a nearby valley and there were thousands of oppressor Midianites there and, and Gideon has 300 guys 
what happened? How did he equip himself? Well, he split the three, 300 guys up into three groups, so 100 each. So they had the Midianites surrounded with their 100 guys. And what were they armed with? A trumpet, each one, a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. It's in Judges chapter 7, if you want to go read that story. Well, right before David's victory, he said right to the giant warrior's face, he said quite a few things, but he said this from 1 Samuel chapter 17. He said, all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Isn't that good? The battle is the Lord's. Gideon learned the same principle as he and his 300 men <laughs> surrounded and watched as the Midianites were completely put to flight. The battle is the Lord's. There's a bit of a difference, though, when we talk about arming ourselves and bring up Jesus. You see, David and Gideon, they got to see God's uh, battle plan come to fruition and victory come right now in the moment. The moment that God said he would be there, he was there. They had faith. They were men of faith. There's a, there's a difference with Jesus, isn't there? It didn't happen that way for him. That's the attitude we're being asked to adopt, is the attitude of Christ. And yet, you'll remember, as I'm sure Peter did, he was there, the scenes that the Bible depicts of, of Jesus' battle. It wasn't a battle at all. He kind of gave in, and they took him, and they tortured him brutally. And then they crucified him on a cross. And what we see is the death of Jesus as a result of his kind of attitude. Now imagine as Peter was writing this letter to, to the people that he was addressing, when he was talking about Jesus' attitude, that he had in mind this scene from the Garden of Gethsemane. It was just mere hours in Jesus' life before he was going to go through this great pain and torture and ultimately crucifixion. And Peter witnessed that. He witnessed Jesus' faith. And he saw how Jesus readied himself for what was to come. Listen to these verses from Mark chapter 14. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. Some of you guys have been there, I know. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John, so there's our friend Peter. He took those three guys with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, Everything is possible for you. You're the all-powerful, loving God. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. And then here's his faith. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What exactly is this weapon here that we're supposed to be arming ourselves with? What qualities of faith do we see in this attitude of Christ as he suffers it's maybe not what we would expect, but it's exactly what was needed. 
Jesus' qualities of faith um, carry with it words like submission, self-denial, even self-sacrifice. And these traits of humility, as Jesus, like Gideon and David, acknowledged that the battle is the Lord, is the Lord's, also acknowledged that the outcome of the battle is in the Lord's hands as well. And Christ's attitude was to humbly embrace God's battle plan and God's timing. Because sometimes the Lord gives victory in the moment, and sometimes the victory that the Lord wants to bring only comes through the suffering. Sometimes the victory God wants to give us over our testing and our suffering only comes on the other side of the pain. And after his testing was complete... Once Jesus had gotten to the other side, it was obvious to everyone, all could see that this time of earthly suffering led to his eternal victory. We just sang about it. His blood saved us because he was able to resurrect from the dead. A permanent victory over all suffering and death and pain. And not, not just for himself but for all who, who bear the weight, who are under the weight of suffering caused by the sin and the evil in our world. And Peter saw this right up close and personal. Jesus' higher level view of his personal pain and how it fit in before it happened, and then the faith that we're told he originated and perfected, that's the same faith that you and I can imitate. That's the kind of faith that we can emulate. And it's expressed in our, in our Bibles in another place, in Hebrews 12. Look at his attitude as he had to go through this. It's in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It tells us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, isn't that a great word? The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured. His testing was temporary. His joy would last. It was eternal joy. And brothers and sisters, there's a joy set before us when our faith is tested. Ultimately, it will be the freedom that we will have from sin and tears and pain and death in the coming age. But thankfully, it's not just all out there. We can, we can thankfully enjoy a measure of the freedom that comes from these things in the here and now. Let's go back to that first slide where we were looking at Peter's words. We saw that he wanted us to be armed. The second part of that says this, For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Now in our struggle against what the Bible calls sin, 
the big S word, right? It, it basically means the violation of God's plans and God's purposes and God's good designs for life. In our struggle and our tendency to give in to sin and, and chasing our desires for what God has deemed undesirable, we're chasing those things, and he says, no, those are undesirable. Suffering just becomes inescapable in our world. It's a consequence of the sin and the evil that's in our world, and, and we find it in our own hearts. And somehow, with God's help, we escape. When we suffer physically, these words say, while maintaining the attitude of Christ... We gain freedom spiritually. We're finished with sin. Doesn't have its appeal to us anymore. That can be a little, little hard to imagine for those of us who haven't gone through some real difficult suffering. I'm not going to claim that I've been through a whole lot of suffering. This is a promise that Peter, who had been through suffering, decided to write and give to us. We can be pretty naive about sin's impact in our world. We can get pretty comfortable with it. Our consciences may not always be aware of it, but we get so immersed in our world system sometime and its opposition to God and his ways that the very desires of our hearts get twisted. We get ourselves so far out of alignment with what God's purpose and will would be for life. And we spend our lives chasing. That word good. We spend our lives meaninglessly striving. Let me add some more syllables. Unsatisfyingly pursuing. We're chasing wants and pleasures that have no power to alleviate suffering in our lives or to bring the joy into our lives that they always promise up front. When we pursue our will, we miss God's will. God's good and pleasing and perfect will. Now, Peter knew all this. He knew our default setting was not like Jesus. It wasn't going to be submission and self-denial with us, right? Our default tends to be selfishness. And self-indulgence, unfortunately. So he addressed this, and it's kind of a heavy part of this, this chapter as we continue in chapter 4. Peter shines a spotlight on certain activities, what the Bible calls elsewhere, to be a little poetic with you this morning, the fruitless deeds of darkness. Let's read through those, verses 3 through 6. Peter said, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of, plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So, so although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. And here Peter reminds us that chasing these illegitimate desires 
ultimately leaves us with one thing, a fearful expectation of the judgment to come. No matter how excited we are, no matter how passionately we jump into the flood, we're just swept away by it. We don't find the fun we're looking for. We're just swept away. And we can lose ourselves. We can lose our souls. Often finding, uh, we often find suffering in the very things we thought would bring us joy is what I wrote down here. We often find suffering in the very things we thought would bring us joy. So is Peter right? Have we had enough of that, the evil things that godless people enjoy? Well, I'm not so sure. It can be so tempting when we're under pressure in our lives to want to turn back to those things for just a little sense of release, a relief from the pressure. But we miss the opportunity if we do that to experience God's peace and God's way of dealing with the trouble. We miss the opportunity for deepening our faith when we just default back to our old ways and think that will somehow relieve the pressure even if for a short time. Is Peter right? Have we had enough of these evil things that godless people enjoy? Maybe not for some of us. Maybe we think, if I have to give up that habit, blank, you fill in the blank, if I have to give up that, then life is just not going to be as good. And God gets this reputation sometimes as just a cosmic killjoy who just wants to put rules in place and doesn't want us to have any fun at all. And you know what that is? That's, that's foolish. That's foolish thinking. Because it's God himself who made us for enjoyment and pleasure. It's only when we decided to, to violate his boundaries that we began to experience suffering and pain. Peter didn't speak a whole lot, thankfully, about these wild and destructive activities, so we won't either. But he did kind of highlight one of them. Did you notice that? The last one listed, the worship of idols, is described as terrible. And we don't really think about idols much, but you know what? It is, they, they are everywhere still in our world. We still see this particular violation all over the place, maybe without knowing it, even among those who tend to avoid the other areas of, of abuse, of sensuality and things like that. This idol worship thing is actually kind of a big deal. Idolatry is a kind of false spirituality. It gives the worshiper, in quotes, uh, authorization. It gives them permission to maybe feel religiously adequate somehow, somehow, but to ignore God. This way we can feel adequate in our faith, but continue to do things our own way. That's what a false idol will do in our lives. And rather than embrace the will and the spirituality of the true God, we just live way below where we could. We really just want to keep doing things our way is what we find when we let idols become important in our life. This kind of false faith is so easily swept away 
when testing comes and you're left with nothing. In his personal roller coaster of faith, Peter grew to understand that in order to continue to arm himself with the attitude of Christ, he needed to avoid those kind of destructive activities and he needed to pursue other long-term patterns of life that would support him and would support us in embracing God's will and placing eternal values way up high on our value scale. Let's wrap up the the time here together with looking at how he kind of characterized those in the last few verses, verses 7 through 11. This is the advice Peter gives us. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. We'll just touch on these briefly. Peter makes five faith-building suggestions to us here that can help us lay a strong foundation for when testing comes. First is just understand the brevity of life. The The world's end could come. Or maybe it could just come for me and you. Maybe our time here is short. And how important is it knowing that for us to make sure we get aligned with God today? Second, make prayer a priority. Be earnest and disciplined, he says. Don't let your prayer life just be, dear God, bless this donut. Okay? Take time to be alone with him. Don't just make a list of all the things you want. Talk with him about what you see in his word. Open your heart to what he might want to say to you. Confess your sins when they come to mind. Pray for people that he has in your life that he may want you to serve somehow. Be be devoted to prayer. Third, love one another deeply from the heart. He said that's the most important one. Don't let yourself be easily offended by people. If you start hanging around with people, I'm telling you, you're going to be offended. Don't let them get to you. You continue to love. Love covers a multitude of sins, he said, right? Well, that's exactly what God has for us with his kind of love. Think of the multitude of sins he has to cover when he looks at me. Fourth, show hospitality. Be willing to share even your home and your food. With those in need, I was recently grumbling about this kind of situation, and one of my good friends, Paul, said, you're not only supposed to show it, you're supposed to show it cheerfully. It says cheerfully right here. Thank you, Paul. Fifth, use whatever gifts you have, whatever talents God has given you to speak or to help others, put them to use. There's a whole bunch of spiritual gifts in other places in the Bible, and we could go look at them all, and you may, you may have done that already. I think Peter's point here is saying, hey, they're, they're out there, but use them. Put them to use in the lives of the people you know. 
maybe the lives of people you don't know. I know we've said this before, but it, it bears repeating that you may be uniquely gifted to help some person that none of the rest of us could ever get near. You may be uniquely gifted to do some work of God that no one else on this planet could do. Will you use your gifts and will you have a heart open to see where God might lead you to use them? I like the way he worded that. Be willing to act in faith with all the strength and energy that God provides. I'm, I'm going to be 60 this summer. Sometimes the energy is a little saggy, but you watch how God puts energy in your life when you're trying to align yourself with his will and to serve people that he wants you to serve. He will come through. That's what his spirit does. As we practice self-denial and pour ourselves out in service to others, our faith, the, the true faith in God will grow within us. And we'll be more ready for whatever kind of testing may come our way. And we were recently blessed in my family by a bunch of you people at Southwoods, whether you know it or not. But you might find that those you serve, you might find that they'll be ready to pray for you. They'll be ready to serve you and stand with you when you have to go through a time of testing. Not only are you going to find that you are becoming a person of faith as you put this into practice, you're going to realize there are people of faith all around me. It's nice to be part of that. Why don't we stand? We'll have a closing, closing prayer together and uh, go out and put some of this into practice. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are uh, the only one we look to for wisdom and advice on how to live life. We've seen so many others that have steered so many astray, and you've given us such practical advice here. And we're so grateful that you care enough about our lives now to make our, our faith here possible to get through testing, and yet you give us also this, this wonderful anticipation of life with you in the coming age when there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more testing. Lord, we so look forward to that time. Jesus, we see that you were uniquely gifted to do what you did. And instead of walking away when you fell to the ground, you stood up and said, not my will, but, but yours be done, God. I'm so grateful for that, Lord Jesus, for your, your faith and your ability to look beyond the temporary to what was eternal and what mattered, not just your joy, but us, every one of us that can align our lives with you. If there's some here that don't know you that way, Lord, I pray that they would find you today, that they would talk to someone today to find out the truth about you and how you can walk them through whatever life wants to bring their way. And whatever the outcome of the battle and the timing we can know we have eternity with you when real life will begin. And all of this testing, all the suffering will just seem like light and momentary troubles to us. Bless us now as we leave. Thank you for these beautiful people. Be close to them. Work through their hearts with your spirit and make them lights in our, in our community, in our neighborhoods. 
In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen.